All right, James chapter 5 and verse 12. The Bible says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. But let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And tonight as we look at your book, we pray that your book would speak to our hearts in a refreshing way. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this verse, what James is doing is he's warning of another way that we can sin with our tongues. And the way that we can sin with our tongues here is by swearing. Now, what is swearing? Some of you may think, well, that's cussing. No, that's, that's not what he's talking about here. Swearing refers to the taking of an oath. And an oath is a type of an oral contract between the person who makes the oath and between God. Oaths have existed, uh, oral oaths have existed far longer than any written contracts have existed. And in an oath, a person is calling upon God. They're saying, God, you're my witness. And they're also asking God to judge them if they're lying. So that's how God is their witness. And the reason that they've been necessary throughout history is for one simple reason. People lie. And we know that people lie. People can't be trusted. And we tend to feel a little better about a person's honesty if that person qualifies what they're saying by taking an oath. Notice James starts this verse out with those two words, above all. And so he's saying that this is the most important thing. He's saying that it is essential that believers speak the truth. Now, James, if you've been reading this book and studying with us, you've seen that he talks a lot about our speech. He's identified the tongue. He said it was a world of iniquity, which means that there's a whole lot of different ways that you can sin with your tongue. But here he says that lying is the one that we should be the most concerned about. He says that lying leads to condemnation. And that means the judgment of God. So this is a pretty serious issue. And this verse, if you think about the Sermon on the Mount, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount right now, it really echoes what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. And when, when we get to Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37, you're going to see that we're going to repeat some of this because James is really saying the same thing that, that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's look at both of these passages together. We'll, we'll think about that from, from Matthew 5 as we, as we lay this out. And I, I say that because Jesus fleshes it out a little bit more than James does. Now, at first glance, it might look like, well, this is a pretty simple thing. You're not supposed to swear. I mean, that's just the end of it. Just don't swear. But as you consider your own life, and as you consider passages in the Old Testament, and as you consider passages in the New Testament, you're going to have a problem if you run into that interpretation that, well, we should just never take an oath. Um, you know, for instance, does this mean that we should never get married? Because the marriage vows are an oath. The marriage vows are an oath that we take before the Lord. When you make that oath before the Lord, you're promising to love and cherish your spouse as long as you live. Is God saying that's wrong? Is God saying it's wrong to make an oath to love your wife or love your husband in sickness and health? Uh, I don't think so. Does this mean that we can't testify in court? Because in order to testify in court... What do they do? Well, they swear you in, don't they? You have to take an oath. An oath to do what? An oath to tell the truth. Is that wrong? Some groups would say that, that it's a sin to do those type of things. 
But when they do this, they're taking a really shallow view of these verses without considering the rest of Scripture and putting it all together. Let me give you an example here, or a few examples I want you to consider. First of all, the Old Testament commands us to swear. Um, the Bible says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, Him shalt thou serve, and to Him shalt thou cleave and swear by His name in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 20. Paul, whenever he was trying to convince people that he was telling the truth on several occasions, places like Romans 1.9, places like 2 Corinthians 1.23, Philippians 1.8, 1 Thessalonians 2.5, 1 Thessalonians 2.10, on all those occasions, he invoked God as his witness. He said, God is my witness. Um, and not to mention in Matthew 26, 63 and 64, when Jesus was standing before Caiaphas, Caiaphas said, I adjure thee by the living God. So he was saying, you are under an oath by the living God. Tell me if you're the Son of God. And Jesus answered him. Jesus didn't say that. No, I can't do that. that that's a sin. Jesus, you could say, testified under oath before Caiaphas. So all of those things show us that it's not so cut and dry. You've got to really understand the fullness of what Scripture is saying. Hebrews 6.16 6, gives us an understanding of what the purpose of an oath is. Uh, the Bible says there, For men verily swear by the greater, an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So what is the writer of Hebrews saying right there? He's saying the purpose of an oath is to give greater authority to what's being said. And the intent is to prove the truthfulness of a statement. So the oath is to put to silence any doubt about the reliability of a witness or the reliability of a statement. Now, in Jesus' days and in James' day, oaths were being abused, um, especially by the religious hypocrites. A truth was being squandered as, as, as men increased in their desire to appear to be telling the truth, but to deceive people. Now, obviously, the religious people in Jesus' day didn't trust one another. If they did, there would have been no reason for so many oaths. And, and there was some degree of reverence for God left. And you could see this in the oaths when you look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Because instead of swearing by God's name, they began to swear by other things. Jesus mentions um, four of those things. He mentions how they would swear by heaven, how they would swear by earth, how they would swear by the holy city of Jerusalem, and how they would swear by their own head. Now, why would they do that? Why would they say, well, I'm not going to say I swear by God, but I swear by heaven. Why would they do that? Well, because it was kind of like crossing your fingers for us. Maybe some of y'all remember that. Maybe some of y'all don't remember that. You didn't have to be telling the truth. You know, you'd say something, but you'd cross your fingers, put it behind your back, and that was kind of like, oh, I know I'm lying, but, but here, here I go. And so the idea is, if you swore by heaven or swore by earth or swore by Jerusalem or swore by your own head, you didn't have to be telling the truth because none of those things were as great as God. And as long as you swore by lesser things, you were okay. So it was a type of loophole for people who wanted to appear to be sincere but were actually lying. And the rabbis and the religious leaders taught the people that that was okay to do. You know, you're supposed to keep your oath. Sure, they taught them that. But they also taught them ways to get out of keeping their oaths. If they swore by these things, heaven, earth, Jerusalem, or their own head, they didn't really have to fear any repercussions. 
And Jesus, He revealed to them how ridiculous that type of thinking was. Back in the end of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 through 22, He really said, look, you guys say um, it's okay to swear by the temple, uh, not, uh, but, but, but not by the gold. And, and then, then He said, look, which is greater? The temple or the gold. You guys say that it's that um, uh, you can swear by the altar, but not by the gift. And, and he's saying, "Look, you guys need to understand that that what you're doing makes no sense at all." The idea is, we'll get to this in just a second. God's behind all of that stuff. He's the God of heaven. He's the God of earth. He's the God of Jerusalem. He's the God of you. So no matter what you're swearing by, the reality is. You're swearing by God. Now, Jesus isn't contradicting any other truth found in the Old Testament, and He isn't contradicting any, anything in the New Testament as well. What He's doing here is He's correcting a false understanding of oaths that the teachers had put out there in His day. As I said, any time a person swears, it's binding. God is in Heaven, the earth is His footstool. Jerusalem is His special city. And we belong to Him. No matter what you swear by, it's connected to the glory of God in some way because God is the Creator and He is the owner of everything. So there are no loopholes. There, If you swear, you swear. When Jesus says, don't swear, He's referring to swearing in the way that this culture swore and the corrupt religious leaders allowed. He's no more condemning all oaths than He is condemning all public prayer whenever He said in Matthew 6, 5-8, through 8, when you pray, don't do it in public, do it in your closet. Jesus wasn't saying never pay in, pray in public. He was simply saying the way that you're seeing people pray right now is wrong. And that's the same situation here with oaths. He's not saying you can't get married and take an oath. He's not saying you can't testify in court. What he's saying is what you're seeing in your culture today is absolutely wrong and deceitful. So he's making an appeal, Jesus is, for truthfulness. And then in verse 37, he teaches us that we should mean what we say. He says, if you say yes, you ought to mean yes. If you say no... You ought to mean no. If you say one thing, but you mean another thing, you're being deceitful. And that's evil to do. So the abuse in Jesus' day had just weakened the truth. People didn't know what to believe. So many unnecessary, so many evasive oaths were used and the truth was just taken a back seat. Now, these actions prove what the Bible says about mankind in general. The Bible says the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, telling lies. Psalm 58.3. That verse is proven by what James is talking about here. We're, we're born with a deceitful nature that encourages us to lie, that, that wants us to justify what's untrue. And in these passages, Jesus in Matthew 5, wants to reveal that to us. There, there's not one person in this world who's old enough to talk who hasn't been deceitful in some way. As soon as you begin to speak, at some, some point, very soon after that, you're going to be deceitful. And we have to recognize that, and we have to come to grips with what God says about it. 
What does God say about lying? What does God say about those who don't hold to the truth? Well, let me give you a few, few verses. Uh, Psalm 119.163, God says, I hate and abhor lying. That's about as strong as it gets. Uh, Proverbs 6, 16 and 17 says, These six things does the Lord hate. And then He gives a list. He says, A proud look and a lying tongue. Proverbs 12, 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And Revelation 21, 8 says, All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire. So the people of Jesus' day had a corrupt heart. And that corrupt heart needed to be changed. They, they couldn't cover their deceitfulness with all of these false oaths. As Jesus was going through that sermon, He said He was proving to them that they were murderers. He was proving to them that they were adulterers because they were lusting in their heart. They were murderers because they were hating people. And now He's showing them, He said, hey, you're lying. And hey, you're, you're also blaspheming with that lie because you're swearing by something that's connected to the glory of God. So the rabbis and the religious leaders, they were excusing these people's sin. But Christ came and He condemned it. And they needed to be changed and only Christ could change them. Now, how does all this relate to us as Christians today? Now, we've received a new heart. If we've been saved, we've been born again, we've received a new heart. Um, and because we love Jesus, we love truth. He is the truth. But there's always that natural man in there. That natural man hiding in us and he wants to be deceitful. So, so how does Christ's teaching relate to that, to me and you as a Christian? Well, let's talk about a few things as it relates to not swearing. First of all, as believers, we don't have to swear to reveal that we're telling the truth. We, we don't have to qualify any of the statements that we make. We never have to say, I swear to God. You know, you hear people saying that. If we find ourselves doing that, if we find ourselves saying, I swear to God, and then saying a statement, that probably reveals that we have a deeper problem. We never have to swear to reveal that we're telling the truth because we're Christians. We're followers of Christ. It should be assumed that we're telling the truth. You know, it, it, when we, if we do that, we find ourselves doing that, it may reveal that we're known for not telling the truth. Maybe we think, well, we have to go around convincing our hearers that we're telling the truth. And so then we have to qualify what we say by saying, well, I swear to God. Oh, friend, if, if, if you're a person who's not known for telling the truth and you have to say things like that so people will believe you, you have a deeper problem. Or it may reveal that we doubt ourselves. You know, sometimes maybe we're not sure what the truth is. And maybe an oath will convince us that, that something is we're not sure is true is indeed true. And so we, we kind of go overboard and we say, well, I swear to God. And then we find ourselves, yeah, I swore, I believe that. Or it may reveal an unhealthy desire to be believed by someone. You know, it could be a fear of man. You want someone to believe what you're saying so badly that you tell them, I swear to God, it's true. And if that's the case, then that shows that you want people's approval. You want people's acceptance. There's never a situation, there's never a person that you ought to have to convince that you're telling the truth by making an oath before God. Never, ever, ever. There's just never a reason. You're a Christian. You never have to swear to reveal that you're telling the truth. Secondly, 
The second thing we can get out of this to apply to our life is this. It's a very serious thing when we begin to invoke the name of God. And, and I think that we hear God's name used so irreverently in the church today that we've grown desensitized to it. Um, and, and let me just talk here for just a minute about not taking the name of the Lord in vain. You should never use the word, the term God, Lord, as it relates to the God of the universe or, or our Lord Jesus Christ, you should never use that term in any sentence unless that sentence is attributing glory and honor to the God whose name that you are using. You should never say, Oh my, well my, and then just throw that in there. God's name is not an exclamation. God's name is not an adjective. It's not something that, that you just use to color your conversations with. And I understand that there's a lot of people and it's a habit and you've grown up doing that. But I want you to know that when you do that, you're taking the name of the Lord in vain. What does vain mean? Vain means uselessly. So you're, you're, you're saying, my G, Brother Kyle, am I tired? You say that, but you're not thinking about God when you say that. You're just thinking about the fact that you're tired. You're not really speaking reverently of the Lord, of His glory, and of His honor. You're just speaking about yourself. Now listen, some of you, you've heard that said, and you've never addressed that in your life. And I'm going to tell you, you need to address it in your life. If you use God's name in any other way, except to attribute Him glory and honor. You are a person who takes the name of the Lord in vain. Taking the name of the Lord in vain isn't just saying GD. It's not just using it as a cuss word. That's an awful thing to do. But taking the name of the Lord in vain is to use His name loosely and uselessly. And it takes everything in me when I hear people in church say, Oh my... Oh my, it takes everything in me not to say, do you know that you are sinning against God when you do that? And let me give you an example. What if I did that with, what if every time I got mad, I said, oh my cow, oh my cow, my cow. People say, what are you, what are you talking about cow for? Or oh my Jennifer. My Jennifer, I can't believe she I can't believe this happened and we just I just used that name as just some type of exclamation. You'd probably say, "Why are you bringing Jennifer into this? That's so weird." Well, God is his name. God is his name. And when you use the name of God, you should do so in reverence. You should do so with your mind set on the Lord. You should do so soberly. You should do so with intent. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And all this is tied into what's happening here because they were really taking the name of the Lord in vain when they were swearing by these very loose oaths. So it's a very serious thing to invoke the name of God. Now one of the times people invoke the name of God in the wrong way is when they want to be believed. So they say, well, I swear to God it's true. 
And the second commandment forbids taking the name of the Lord in vain. I already said that we we take His name in vain when we use it irreverently or when we use it loosely. So believers, they should... uh, They should caution themselves in this area. Think about that. When you're saying God's name, it's a serious thing. And the third thing is this. We should always seek to be people of integrity. When a person swears, they're making a distinction between what they're saying at that specific time and what they're saying at other times. You get me? When a person swears and they say, I swear to God, they're making a distinction between what they're saying at that specific time and what they're saying at other times. And again, this is unnecessary because you're saved. This is unnecessary because you're a believer. You're called to always be truthful, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, whether you're at home, at the bank or church. None of that matters. The setting doesn't matter. The subject or the circumstances don't matter. What matters is you're a Christian, therefore you're a person of the truth. And so we need to understand that that there's a lesson here when he, James says, hey, don't take these oaths. We're to be people of integrity all the time. And so the idea is we live under oath. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, Christians, we live under oath. It's, it's understood. It's assumed. We are people of the truth. We don't have to qualify what we're saying and say, well, I'm telling the truth now. By saying, I swear to God. The fourth lesson we can get out of this is we should remember that God sees our heart. You know, more than your words, God sees your heart. You can't cross your fingers behind your back and think, well, God doesn't see it. As followers of Christ, we shouldn't try to ever downplay the truth in any way. Sometimes we we say things like this. We say, "Well, well, I'm not telling the truth, but I'm not lying either. And that, that's wrong too. We should be straightforward. We should be straightforward people. There's no room for exaggeration or misinformation in the believer's life. Because far too often as Christians, we say one thing and we mean another. We give half-truths and all the while our hearts condemn us and saying, you know what, you're not telling the full truth here. And sometimes it's not what we say that makes us lie. Sometimes it's what we fail to say. So we shouldn't be like the religious leaders of Jesus' day who excused certain lies. We should remember that God sees our heart. And fifthly, we shouldn't have to use an oath because we should trust one another. And this is really how we encourage one another uh, to stop swearing. You know, sin has caused us to be suspicious. You know, if you had kids when your kids were growing up and you started wondering and you asked them if they did something and then they said, oh, I didn't do that. And then you grilled them a little further and then they have to say, Mom, I promise, I promise, I swear, I didn't do that. And then finally, we, we, we believe them. And I understand that some of that's just parenting. But 1 Corinthians thirteen seven says, love believes all things. Love believes all things. That means... If we're people of love, we give the benefit of the doubt to the other person. Now that doesn't mean that we turn our eyes to deception, that we turn our eyes to the truth and we just let people walk over us. That's not what it means at all. But when a situation is reasonable, 
When we look at a situation and it's reasonable and this is a person who claims to know Christ and we know Christ and they tell us something, then we give them the benefit of the doubt. And by giving them the benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt, we're not tempting them to qualify what they're saying by saying, oh, I, I swear to God it's true. I swear to God it's true. Um, we're not the truth police as Christians. That's, that's God's job. He knows who's telling the truth. And if we live in suspicion of the people we love, and if we're constantly having to have them qualify their statements by swearing, then we're not helping them at all. See, not only should we refrain from using these unnecessary oaths ourselves, but we should also do what we can to make sure that other people aren't encouraged by our own actions to swear as well. If it's a reasonable situation, one of our children or our spouse or someone says, hey, this is what happens, we give them the benefit of the doubt. Love believes all things. If they're not telling the truth, it'll come out. If they're not telling the truth, God knows. We give them the benefit of the doubt. Unless there is absolute, obvious, objective truth that this person's lying, we give them the benefit of the doubt because we don't want to encourage people to qualify what they're saying by saying, I swear. And so this is a really interesting verse, verse 12. And I know we one verse and we got a whole message out of it tonight, but I think there's a lot there for me and you to think about. And mainly to really revere the name of God and understand that we don't have to take His name in an oath to prove that we're telling the truth because we're followers of the truth. We're followers of Christ who is the truth. Therefore, it should be assumed that when we speak, we speak the truth. Oaths are unnecessary for that reason. Back up now. Doesn't mean you can't take an oath in court. Doesn't mean you can't say your vows in a wedding. It simply means that you shouldn't go about your life qualifying constantly what you're saying by invoking the name of God, saying, I swear to God this is true. You should simply live your life as a Christian. Be a truthful person. And if you're a believer, when others speak to you, you should assume in a reasonable manner that those people are speaking the truth as well so that you don't encourage them to invoke God upon themselves so that you will believe them. Amen. Interesting study tonight. Really interesting study. But that's what James chapter 5 and verse 12 means. Again, I want to say thank you to everybody who helped us out um, with uh, with driving church this morning. It was great. Um, we had some technical difficulties in the beginning, but everybody pulled together and we fixed it. By God's grace, it was all fixed. We had a great crowd. I don't know what our number was this morning, but man, it looked like we had a 